Good morning, church. Miss Ashley has read our text for us this morning. Uh, we want to dive right into that. I know you may read this text and it says to the elders and we think, well, this is to preachers. You have to remember when you read this text that the same guy writing this in chapter 5, back in chapter 2, verse 5, told us that we are a priesthood of all believers, that you're being raised up to a royal priesthood. We all lead somewhere, okay? Uh, we are all elder in some way. And so when we look at this, we want to look at the areas that God's called us to serve, and we want to see, are we serving that way? But then there's also areas where we follow, okay? Uh, you don't want me leading some of these areas. When we get our Wednesday night meals back, you don't want me leading that. You won't feel, you want some of these ladies, you don't want me leading that, okay? Uh, th th there's areas where we have to follow well. So our question this morning is, do we lead well and do we follow well? Because when you got somebody giving instructions and you got somebody listening, if they both don't do that well, disaster can happen. Uh, when I was a student at Ole Miss, I had a friend named Jeremy Sarton, and uh, we, we call him Soul Train, and uh, that's a long story on his nickname, but we were going to do a fire in the fire pit on the back of our uh, little condo there in Oxford. Now, that, that little area we had was smaller than this stage, and included in this little area was a propane tank grill with a brand new full propane tank, two nylon tents like we would take to the Grove, and a nylon, maybe not nylon, but an awning to the house. But there was a little area where you could do a fire pit. We'd done it several times. There was a problem. The wood had gotten wet that I had uh, firewood back there on the porch. And I had always been taught, and let me say this with Brother Nathan here, you do not try this. This is not a good idea. Don't, don't, don't do this, okay? Um, but I had been taught when I was little, if you pour just a little bit of gasoline or something on that wood, light it and let it burn completely out. Do that two or three times, it'll dry it out. So I started this process. I had a little bit of, of gasoline. I'd pour on it, light it, and let it burn out. And, and, and Soul Train watched me do this several times. Well, I finally needed to go in the house. I was getting ready to cook or something. And I said, you keep this going. I'll be right back. Well, he decided, see, that's, that's where leadership, you have to give good, clear leadership. And I didn't do that. I just said, keep this going. Well, that's when you're following, you need to ask questions if you don't understand. He didn't ask questions. We both failed. And when you fail to lead well and follow well, disaster happens. See, I walked back outside just in time to see Soul Train try to pour the gas on the fire right before it went out. And, of course, that fire traveled up to the plastic cup holding the gas in his hand. He looked at me as the cup started to melt and dropped the cup. Gas went under the propane tank. One of the nylon tents went up in a blaze. I screamed. Catherine was in the kitchen. She said all she heard was a all she saw was a flash of light, and I ran in going, I need a broom and water. Probably not the right thing. I don't know how you put that fire out, but I was terrified at the moment. And so to keep Harris Grove condominiums from burning down in Oxford, we went to work and saved it. But it all could have been prevented had I led well. And had he listened well, this text this morning asks us in whatever areas we lead, are we leading the right way for the right reasons? Are we looking to the reward? And it asks us, are we following well? Because we all follow in some areas, and we all are gifted to lead in some areas. 
Because we're a priesthood of believers. And where we're shepherds, we're shepherds. Where we follow, we follow. And yes, it goes up all the way to the great shepherd Jesus, who's the only one who never has to follow. All of us have friends who, who are pastors, and, and on their job title, they'll put under shepherd. And I think that's really good. I don't do it because I, I think it probably confuse some people in our context. But um, I get what they're saying, is we're all under the leadership of Jesus. And in that, as this priesthood of believers, we become this big C church that does what we're supposed to do. So let's dive in and let's see, first of all, the role of the shepherd. So let's go First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Don't miss that. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Why does Peter qualify this so much? Why is there so much as a fellow elder? As, why does he qualify it so much? Because he knows what he's about to drop on them is tough. You've got to remember at this point in this text, Peter has been, when I told Matt earlier this week, I may have told the whole staff, I said, this text seems so weird to follow the end of four. Because the end of chapter four is this, as you suffer, suffer well. And it's like he's just been throwing haymaker, 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 just rich text. And then he says, now, let's talk about shepherding. It's like four would have been a good end of the book. But you've got to remember, Peter, much wiser than me, under the, the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit here, knew that all of this stuff he said about suffering and all this stuff he said about looking to the reward and all this stuff he said about living well in front of non-believers, he comes down to this little point of application. So while this text may not seem like the richness of the rest of this, this is what he comes down to of, after I said all this, he says... Do church right. Do church right. And it may not seem like this big deal to us, but everything he's been saying came to this. Lead well, follow well. And he qualifies it by going, I am a fellow elder. Now you've got to remember what he's been saying up at the end of four. And you've got to see the first word in this passage. The first word in, in the English standard is so. Uh, you may have a translation that says therefore. You may have a translation that says now. Um, there are some translations, and it really bothers me, that skips this first word. They shouldn't do that. This is important. When you see so, therefore, now, he's saying, since I said what I just said, now we do this. Well, remember last week we talked about, uh, Miss Ashley even read from Malachi for us. Peter has in view passages from Ezekiel. He has in view passages from Malachi. And these passages or as it says at the end of chapter 4, passages where the judgment begins with the people of God. And when it begins with the people of God, it always begins with the elders. What Peter is fixing to tell us, he's saying, I'm a fellow, I'm a fellow elder. So what I'm telling you is I'm in this with you. I get that what I'm fixing to say to you can be weighty, can be heavy. He's not being this, I'm apostle, do what I say, he's saying, I'm in this with you. And he's saying, if judgment begins with elders, I get that I'm saying it begins with me. That helps us take this. It's always good to have a leader who's in the battle with you. When, when I moved to North Mississippi, uh, I couldn't find a CrossFit gym that fit my schedule, and so I ended up working out on my own. And I follow this guy named Pat Sherwood. He's a retired Navy SEAL, but he writes programming, writes workouts for people that have to work out on their own at home. One thing he always does at least a couple times a week, is he posts a video, and he usually does it when he struggles the most, 
of him doing the workout he wrote. And it's crazy how just in our little online group, those videos inspire that community to go ahead and work out because they see he's in it with them. And always inspired me, absolutely smoked me on how good he can do the workout versus me. But it showed he's not just sitting up there going, y'all do this, y'all do this. He's in the battle with you. That's what Peter's doing here. I exhort you as a fellow elder. And what he's telling us is judgment begins with leadership. So where we lead, we should take it very seriously. Where we lead in the church is a place we have to take our work seriously. Now what he tells us to do, he tells us what to do and then he gives us three pitfalls. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. What does exercising oversight look like? Well, it's not just, hey, do this, do this, do this. I may not be really good at children's ministry, okay? Miss Ashley's very gifted at that. Oversight would be, hey, I see something in that and I go, I don't know if that lines up with the text. And I talk to her, but I still know she's kind of the leader there. It's if deacons start to make a decision and it sounds good on paper, but I'm going, you know, the Bible kind of tells us maybe that's not the way to do it. And they listen to that part, but I listen to their leadership. Oversight is when I say, hey, Brother Nathan, I think we should go spend $3 million on a brand new moving church van bus home. And he goes, that's not a good idea. That's oversight where he leads as chairman of our finance committee. There's, there's oversight that we have to exercise. There's encouraging others when we have a good idea. And we encourage one another. Ashley comes with an idea and says, I think we could do this with children's ministry. And I'm like, there's no biblical problem with that. How can I support you? You know, or, or Corey's like, I, th- I think we could do this with worship. And I say, man, that's awesome. You know, that's what oversight looks like. So we want to exercise oversight in the areas where we lead. And what you should be asking yourself as I say that right now is, where do you lead? And you may think, oh, I don't do anything big. Look, there is no small gifting when God's the one doing the gifting. There's no small calling when the eternal, infinite God is the one doing the calling. You know, just because we're not standing on stages like Billy Graham did doesn't mean God isn't doing great things through us. Every part in, a pl- in his plan is part of his plan, and that's what makes it awesome. So as we say this and we ask you, how do you exercise oversight? Are you leading well in the areas that God has called you to lead as you exercise oversight? That can be in meals that we cook, in fellowships that we plan, in Sunday school lessons that we teach, in meetings that we have. Are we doing that well? He gives us three pitfalls, three huge pitfalls to avoid. Um, As we elect elders, as we elect leaders and shepherds in our church, uh, be that deacons or Sunday school teachers or small group leaders or committee members or pastors, see them avoiding these pitfalls and then in our own areas where we serve, we want to avoid these pitfalls as well. The first one he gives us. Keep going with me. Uh, After exercising oversight, the second part of verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Now this first one, you got to understand what he's saying. We lead out of love for people. Okay? Not out of duty. I read this week, C.S. Lewis once said, duty is a poor substitute for love. Duty is when we do the right thing just because it's the right thing. And you say, well, yeah, that's okay. You ever been reading your Bible and you're just reading your Bible because you know you're supposed to read your Bible every day? 
and you look up in a month and it's become drudgery because you're just doing the right thing because you want to do the right thing, not because you love it. Responsibility without love for people becomes drudgery. Okay? If I didn't love my kids, I'd have never changed their diapers. Okay? It's love for them that motivates us in the moments that are hard and the things we don't want to do. We can still do those things gladly because we love them. We have some friends here in Picayune. They, uh, they're, they're not uh, New Palestine members, but they are, they're strong believers. Uh, uh, Mr. Twig Branch and his wife, she's sadly passed away a few years ago. But Mr. Twig, if you ever meet him, and yes, his name is Twig Branch. I love that. Uh, if you've ever met Mr. Twig, you're going to find out pretty soon that he's a Hall of Fame Mississippi State quarterback. Um, literally, he's in Mississippi State's Hall of Fame. He, uh, he loves to talk about the Bulldogs, and we joke about the Rebels, but he loves his Bulldogs. But when my girls were born, Mr. Twig, they always told us they loved us and they exercised it because this Hall of Fame Mississippi State quarterback, I can't tell you how many red and blue things they bought, how many Ole Miss little cushions and, and little coats were knitted from a Hall of Fame Mississippi State quarterback because they loved us. It wasn't, it wasn't even about the work. It was about who they were working for and that they love my girls. Now, I'm going to put Keith Buckley on the spot here. He has said that if I came as pastor, he'd be an Ole Miss, State, Ole Miss fan for a year, so we're, we're calling him out today. That's love for people is what that is, Keith, right? So, so look, when we love people, we can take on tasks gladly that we wouldn't do. Where do you shepherd? Where do you lead? Maybe it's nursery. Do you love those kiddos? Maybe it's cooking on Wednesday night. Do you love the people you're cooking for? Maybe it's cleaning the, the church van. Do you love the people that are going to ride on that van? When we love people, we will serve willingly and not under just an act of duty. Now, there's parts of all ministry where we just have to do some things we don't like. But the way we make that work is when we love people rightly. So we love people because if we don't, ministry becomes drudgery, drudgery becomes burnout, and we turn around and look and we've quit. You have to love people rightly. So he says, love uh, or do your work willingly, not under compulsion. And then he goes on and he says at the end of, of, of verse 2, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. What he's telling us is, don't do this work because you, you love money. And I don't mean, obviously, I'm a full-time pastor, and I'm very thankful for how this church takes care of me financially. Um, it's not saying you can't get paid. In fact, Paul writes a lot about how we should take care of servants. But we can't do it because we just love money. you got to love the people. What he says here is love the work. Don't just love the people. Love the work. All right? I cannot tell you how much I hate emptying the dishwasher. That was my job during quarantine. I, I would get up every morning. I would make sure the dishes were done. I don't know how it got assigned to me. I kind of think I assigned it to myself. Catherine was very glad, but I would make sure the dishes were done. And y'all, I hate loading that dishwasher. And let me tell you what it makes happen. I load all the dishes I can find into one load. If there is space, we will fill it, Okay. That's how this started. I'm like, I'm doing this once, and we're done. And here's what would happen. Catherine would come home. She would open the dishwasher. She would sigh. She would unload half of it and have to reload the other half. They'd be like, I already washed that. The heat killed it, if nothing else. She was like, no, Walter, you, you loaded it wrong. I was like, I did not load it wrong. I loaded it fast. We got the job done. 
You see, you see what I'm saying? I don't love that work. And so I, didn't, I had to learn to do it right, even though I didn't love it. When we don't love a work, we will do it haphazardly. But writing this sermon, I'm just going to be honest with y'all. There's some weeks we read the passage and we go, what in the world am I going to talk about? And this week was one of those weeks where I love to preach. So I had to spend time praying. I had to spend time studying. I can tell you, uh, and I'm, I'm actually trying not to do this now, but in the past when I preach on Sundays... Three, four o'clock in the morning, sometimes earlier, my brain is on. I'm ready to go. I'm up. I'm, I'm rereading the commentaries. I, I, normally, I will rewrite the entire sermon on Sunday morning. So if I walk in here a nervous fit, that's why. Okay, I'm, I'm trying not to do that now, but, but I love to preach. And the fact that I love the work, I will spend time on it. I'm not rushing through a Greek word. I'm checking other sources and then when you love the people you're preaching to, man, you start to, it, it's, it's not work, okay? I literally, I have said before, I've told family, like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. I love this, okay? Now, there's still things we have to do we don't like to do. I have to go to finance committee meeting, okay? But our finance committee is awesome, but that is not my cup of tea, okay? But when you love the people and you love the work, those things aren't bothersome because you're doing where you've called to shepherd, God's given you a love for something, folks. Are you serving in that area? We are a priesthood of all believers. We've already been told that. Are you shepherding the people you love in the areas that you love? Because everybody needs to be discipling somebody. We have to avoid these pitfalls. We can't not love the work. We can't not love the people. And finally, we've got to be careful to lead through example. I, lead, I read lots of leadership books. I've gotten into some new ones. I actually had a conversation with one of you about this this week. You see lots of leadership books that tell you how to take control and make sure that you know, you're doing this and that. And there may be some things you can find in that, but biblical leadership looks different. It is very much service and example. And Peter brings that out here uh, in verse 3. He says, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The greatest leaders set the best examples. And the greatest example of that in the world is Jesus. I want you to look at what Peter's really telling us to do. He's telling us to shepherd as Christ shepherd. He loved the people. He loved the work, even though he despised the cross. As Hebrews says, he loved to bring the Father glory. He loved the people and he set the best example. The writer of Hebrews tells us he was tempted on every hand just as we are tempted. He's tempted in every way that we're tempted, yet without sin. He did it perfectly. He did it the way it's supposed to be done. Christ is the single greatest example of how to lead by example. Now, I don't mean we don't ever correct people. We see Jesus correct Peter, the writer of this book, we see Jesus have to verbally correct people, but he's correcting them to an example we've set. Now, here's what that means for us. We aren't Jesus. So this also means we have to have grace for one another because I promise you, I will not shepherd perfectly, okay? I'm, I'm not the greatest counselor. I am not the greatest with funerals or with weddings. I'm, I'm not the greatest on that pastoral stuff, and I'll have to have grace from you at times. But if we have grace for one another, we learn how to receive and give grace when we see that. 
and we help each other when we fail to be the perfect example because we're not Jesus. And what happens is we, have, we become one group of sanctified believers who are growing in our faith with grace for one another, growing and leading better and better as we grow. We have to be willing to let it be as an example. Now, again, if you're asking why do I need to know this, you nominate and elect elders, and because we're a priesthood of all believers, we all lead, lead this way. And I remind you of that because verse 4, we go from pitfalls to verse 4. He tells us very clearly, expect a reward. This gets downplayed too much. I want to show you what he means in verse 4. Read it. He says, and when the chief shepherd, and who's that? That's Jesus. Remember that thing about the under-shepherds. He says, and when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, I'm sorry, we're going in verse 5 in a minute. Let's just hit verse 4. It says, the reward of the shepherd. I want you to see what he does here, though. He tells us there's going to be a reward. Now, let's look at the reward and then look at what we want to do with it. When Jesus appears, we'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Why does he talk about this unfading crown of glory? I guarantee you've seen it in movies. Maybe you've seen it in those little reenactments or documentaries, you'll see the gladiator. You'll see the victorious general coming back to Rome. You'll see the senator who's new to the Senate. And they have these little wreath crowns. Now, you know and I know those wreaths aren't permanent. They're going to fade away. The leaves are going to dry. They're going to crack. They're going to fall apart. That's what Peter's talking about. He's saying that what this earthly government with this earthly overseers, the reward they can give you is nothing compared to the reward that's coming from the chief shepherd, the true overseer, the all-powerful one. When he returns, what he gives will never fade away like some wreath crown. We get what is permanent. It's all through the book of 1 Peter. He keeps telling us, look for what is to come. Look for what is to come. Remember there's a reward. Sometimes we fall in the, pitfall, in, in, in the pitfall of not remembering that there is a reward. And I think we do that because we feel selfish or we feel like we're making it about the wrong thing. And, and I get that. We don't do this for the reward. But it's okay to remember that there's a reward and let it drive us on to do what we do even better. I remember going to Jerusalem. Um, I guess it was my second trip over. And, I was, uh, and I've only been twice, but I, I, I think it was the second trip. I was at this place in Jerusalem called Shorshim, which means roots. Two brothers on it, Dove and Moshe. Um, and if you translate that, it means Bear and Moses. I always say they would be Southerners in the U.S. because that's the only fine place you're going to find brothers named Bear and Moses. But anyway, I, I believe we were talking to Dove, which means Bear. Um, and he, he, uh, he is a Jewish scholar. He's not, not a believer in Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, but he made this statement that we got it wrong. He said, it's not about heaven. He said, yes, we believe in heaven, but it's never been about heaven. We do what we do because, he says, the beloved, because he won't refer to God that way. He says, because God is, lo- because God is worthy of us doing that. Well, that's, true. that's true. The Sadducees took that point of view. We do what's right because God is worthy. And yes, that's motivation enough. But the graciousness of our God is this, that when He within Himself, only Himself was enough, He still gave us a reward even more to look forward to. It's not about the reward, but over and over and over, the Scripture tells us to look forward to the reward. Why? Because it's just a little more motivation. When God Himself was enough, He gives us just a little bit more to look forward to. 
I don't know how you go more than that, but that's the best way I can put it. This week, Catherine and I celebrated 15 years. I've been married and she's put up with me, okay? 15 years. So we, we go to Court of Two Sisters on Thursday night. It was awesome. We were the only people in there. I told her I rented it out for us that I was just a high roller like that. She didn't believe me, but hey, you got you to try what you can try. Anyway, so I, we go, and it was great. We had the bananas. Foster, I had, I, I don't remember what the dish was this time. I had the, uh, it was crawfish something. Crawfish is awesome, and you don't get it a lot in North Mississippi. So I, I, it was great. She had the shrimp and grits, wonderful things. You know, it would have been just fine to stay home and watch a movie and, and just hang out with each other. Because just being with my wife, that's enough. And it would have been fine, and it, and it would have been great. But we added just a little something else that was to look forward to. Just knowing that the Father has called us, just knowing that He is there is enough. Heaven is heaven because He's there. But the Scripture tells us to look forward to the fact that there is a crown, there's a reward, there's a little something more, a little something else. Use that. Don't feel selfish about using that. Also, don't look at that reward and say, he owes me that. No, he doesn't owe you that. Anything we get, we get because the chief shepherd has earned it. This reward is an act of grace that was earned by Christ. It is part of what we share with Him, and we only get it because He's giving it to us. It isn't because we've earned something with our works. It is because Christ has earned it for us. And in our service, He has blessed us in that with something that's to come out of His reward, not out of our own. If that's confusing, I get that, but understand, we're all guilty We've all sinned, and because we've sinned, we don't deserve any reward. And you say, well, what if we shepherd well and we do all these works? If a mass murderer, or let's just say a murderer, gives a million dollars to the Lifeway every week for the rest of his Lifeway, United Way, Lifeway makes plenty of money, don't they? Anyway, <laughs> if a murderer gives a million dollars to the United Way, Every week for the rest of his life. I don't care how much he gives. The fact is he's still guilty of murder. We can't work our way into these rewards. We get them because Jesus has earned them for us. It doesn't matter what good works you do. The fact is we're still guilty of sin. And so this chief shepherd had to pay the price and give us his reward. And he's given us himself and he says, and there's a reward. It is literally grace upon grace for those of us who follow Christ. And use that for motivation. Finally, he says in verse 5, we've seen, we've seen that we, we, have to, we have to lead well. We have to avoid the pitfalls. We see the reward to come. We see that we're in this together. Finally, in verse 5, he says, and remember, follow well. Because we don't all lead in everything. You know, we don't all lead in everything. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's quoting Psalm 34. I'm sorry, Psalm 334 in this. That's very important for us to notice that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he's quoting, if you look that up and you go, that's not what that says. He's quoting it from a Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. Um, and, he, and he uses the wording that that translation used. That's what they often quote in the New Testament when they quote the Old Testament. 
God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James also quotes this verse. Why is this such a verse for them to learn from? Because we all, yes, are gifted and called to lead in certain areas, okay? But we all have to follow in most areas. In most areas, we have to exercise humility and follow and lead where we're gifted to lead. Solomon is who wrote this in Proverbs. And Solomon tells us earlier in Proverbs that he's giving the wisdom of his father. And who was his father? David. Solomon did well as long as he remembered God opposes the proud and grace to the humble. But as we get into Second King, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, we find that Solomon quit living by the wisdom he was given. So he's given three rules back in Deuteronomy, and he breaks all three of them. Don't gather weapons of war, trust God. And we get this list of weapons he gains. Don't have more than one woman. We get this list of wives. We get this list of wealth. Don't harbor wealth for yourself, but for the nation. He breaks all three. The end uh, of, of beginning of chapter 11 in 1 Kings says, And Solomon loved many foreign women. And then when we get to, I'm sorry, at the end of chapter 10 it says that, but then we get to the verse, verse 1 through 9 of 1 Kings 11, and it says, And the Lord turned against Solomon. He quit seeking wisdom. He quit, he quit having humility. And he started leading his own way instead of the ways he had been taught by his elders. And Solomon falls hard. The same man that Peter is quoting here in verse 5 is a great example of getting this right and then what happens when we get this wrong. If we don't follow well, we will fall hard. If we don't lead well in the areas we're called to lead, we fall hard. But that calls for the moments, and it's most of the time that we have to follow, it calls us to do that with humility. And you say, well, Brother Walt, what is humility? Look, it's real hard to define humility. I, I don't know how to define it. It's kind of like a great, well-cooked steak. I don't know how to define what a great steak is, but I know it when I take a bite of it. Okay, Humility's like that. I know it when I see it. I know it when I had my first or second day here as associate pastor back in 2016. And there was this guy that kept hanging around the church. And I thought he was our maintenance guy. Okay, And so one day I went and bought a chair and I asked Bruce to put it together because I thought that was his job. <laughs> Bruce never looked, he never said, do you know who I am? I'm not your, Bruce just put the chair together and has laughed at me ever since about it. <laughs> That's humility. He could have puffed up and said, I'm going to do that. That's, that's not what he did. It's, and, and I, I actually remember that story because I read a story about Booker T. Washington uh, being met on the street as he's president of the Tuskegee Institute and a woman asked him if he wanted to make a few extra dollars to chop wood for. Sure, and he went and chopped the wood. The lady found out he was president of this university and her and her friends ended up becoming longtime donors to the university after she was so embarrassed that... He just had humility and served. That made me think about Bruce. When we don't have humility, when neither of us succeed in yielding to the other, when we start getting too many leaders and not enough followers, and we all say, well, I ought to make this decision, we all want our own way, it leads to disaster. You may remember in 1986, collision on the Black Sea just outside of Russia, two ocean liners, hundreds of people died because neither captain would yield the path to the other ship. 
They both just kept wanting, I want my way, I want my way. And they were so proud, instead of yielding, the boats collided and hundreds died. When we fail to follow well, people get hurt. When we fail to exercise humility, at the very least, people get embarrassed. We have to lead well. We have to avoid those pitfalls. But don't forget that Peter says, since judgment begins in the church, lead well. But as people lead well, we also have to follow well, pointing back to chapter 4, because judgment begins with the people of God. And if we don't get our stuff right, we'll end up in trouble. So a few questions as we wrap up this morning. Are you leading? If you can't think of an area you're serving, because you need to understand in the church, leading and serving go hand in hand. And if you aren't serving somewhere, what are you doing? Because God's called you to something. That can be as small as I'm befriending the person next door so I can tell them about Jesus. And that's not small. That can be as big as I'm making sure the meals on Wednesday night happen when everything restarts. That can be teaching a Sunday school class. That can be finding the, the youth who has been attending our church that doesn't have a family and adopting them as if they were your family, taking them out on Sunday and their life. How are you leading and serving someone here within your faith family? How are you putting the gospel into the community? Because if we're not, then God's called you to something because we're all supposed to be taking part in that. Are we doing that well? Are you following well? And let me tell you something, I've seen that done well here. I've seen people who only love hymns embrace contemporary music because they know other people like it. I've seen people who love contemporary music embrace a hymn or two here and there because they know other people like it. I know that people in this church have gone, well, I, I don't know if I like that, but you get on board because that's how we serve each other well. You... This is a text where I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. I have seen this church over the years put their selfish desires aside and love one another and follow leadership even when they don't understand the leadership. And that's hard to do. But if we don't, sometimes we could end up in a real mess. Um, back January, February of, I guess, 2019, we were coming home. We had a late Christmas celebration with Catherine's parents in Oklahoma. We were headed back to South Haven where we were living, and my truck just quit. Um, it started giving me all these, the, the, the dashboard just lit up. It was freezing cold. Didn't know what had happened, but I start reading on my phone. We have to get towed in. I start reading on my phone, and I was convinced. Uh, I think it was the timing belt. I can't remember what it was, but I was convinced this belt was the problem. I knew that's what it was. I we'll called the next day, and the mechanic says, no, your alternator's out. And I said, but I read this and this and this and this. And, and I, I know it's the timing belt. And he goes, I'm telling you, it's the alternator. Now, at that moment, I could have said, you know, I know I'm right to fix the timing belt. And I would have still had a broke truck. But instead, I said, okay, you're the guy, you're the mechanic. Doesn't matter what article I read, you're the one who has hands-on experience with this. And maybe I should just trust you. And my truck got fixed. When we have leaders who know what they're doing, and they shouldn't be leaders yet until we think they're competent in the areas we've called them to lead, we have to follow their lead, and even when we're going, I don't know what's going on, because if we don't, boats collide and bad things happen. But when we lead, and we know that God has led us to do this, we have to lead well and be clear with the people we're talking to. Are you leading well? Or are you serving well? Because in doing that, we exemplify Christ, who was the greatest example, who served perfectly. 
And he's the great shepherd coming back to us with a reward. And I pray you know him today. I want to pray for us. I'm going to ask our musicians to come lead us through one last song. I know this is not that haymaker, hey, you know, charge hell with a water pistol, hurrah sermon. This one makes us think. Sometimes it's the sermons we remember the least that makes us think the longest that reaps the most fruit. So I pray you take this home. And I pray we think about are we serving well and are we following well as Christ designed his church to operate. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. You are good. Lord, gently. Lord, I know I ask this every week. I just, it's not that I think you'll trick us or something. I just, gently but effectively help us to evaluate how we serve and how we follow. Lord, help us to be a church that gets the order right, that explains well, that listens well, that exemplifies Christ in this. Help us to be the priesthood of all believers, serves others and takes the gospel all over the earth. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.